Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to Brennan Dunn, the founder of Palladio, co-founder of Write Message and a general email expert. Now, as a newsletter author myself, I took this opportunity to learn as much as possible about personalizing and optimizing my email strategy by talking to Brennan today. You'll also hear what most people get wrong in email marketing. Here's Brennan. I have a burning question for you. That why is it that I can tell a generative AI platform like Midjourney or something to paint me a picture that rivals the quality of the old masters within seconds, but when I try to design an email, even after putting in days of effort and work, it looks like I just opened a website from the 90s. Why is it so hard to make emails look nice? What's the problem there? I think it, so why it, it depends on the email client. Let's put it this way. The, the issue is that some email clients like Apple Mail use WebKit under the hood. So if you're basically uses what Safari uses and there's no issue, you can make it throw in whatever cool CSS you want and it works fine. And then you have some clients like Outlook and Gmail, which are honestly stuck in the nineties and don't have Flexbox. They don't have the concept of box shadows or uh, whatever. Like, I mean, Gmail can't even load web fonts, including Google fonts. Mm. Um, and wow. then you find issues like, F yeah. And then there's things like Gmail. If there's one issue with your CSS and an issue could be something like you're using RGBA instead of hex, uh, for a color, it discards the entire style for that element, all the styles for that element, which then, so basically the issue is that we, as people who are helping people create email templates need to go common denominator to make it, you know, we need to come up with like, what is the thing that will work for the majority of most email clients? And that means coding for late nineties era, you know, browsers basically. So, um, imagine, uh, being here in 2022, having these modern web browsers and needing to think we want people to architect in the, you know, this way, but it needs to compile down HTML that is compatible with like, you know, uh, Netscape Navigator from like 1997 or something. So that's that's the big issue is that um, it's 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 the email client vendors honestly that are holding holding us back. Do you think this will ever change? That that there will ever be this kind of depreciation of let's just do something like start with a new standard here, or is this always going to be an issue with email in particular? Well, I mean, there's a few things, right? There's the, the fact of like email once sent is effectively static. Um, email can't execute JavaScript. Uh, there's amp stuff that's kind of existing, but it, again, it's not universal. Um, and people like the, the, the dynamic content, the extent of it is honestly putting an animated GIF that on a server somewhere, like the countdown timers you see, that's all, that's not like JavaScript. That's a server serving an image. Um, and if you, I, I guess it depends on the provider, but if you let it sit long enough, it, I don't think they make, if it's like a 24 hour countdown timer, I don't think the servers are turning 24 hours worth of animated GIF, right? Like it's, it'll last for some time, but basically, yeah, email is really primitive is what I'm getting at. Um, it's, uh, you know, there, there's no, there's no built-in mechanism for handling opens or clicks or anything like that. Instead, us marketers had to come up with hacks of like putting a hidden image in it to figure out if somebody's opened your email. 
And that hidden image is just basically hitting a server that says, you know, this unique ID happened to load this image, which is how email platforms track and open. So it's like when you, when you fact, when you compare it to things like a Twitter post or a Facebook post or whatever else, it is so super primitive. Um, but it's universal. It's not beholden at any platforms. And unlike with Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff, um, I can personalize these emails because they're all effectively individual entities, right? Like the email I sent to you versus the email I sent to Justin are two separate generated beings that have no relation to each other. So assuming you've got an email platform that's processing these emails being sent, you can do kind of cool stuff and, you know, make these emails a little more um, dynamic based on who's, who's receiving it. So yeah, email. <laughs> I just, I just wonder how I, like, I love it and I hate it. Yeah, you chose a, a business <laughs> like an ancient technology to build something new on top of, right? To invent on that thing, and that feels like that that is that is quite a thing to make a choice for, right? Because you know that you're gonna be in this in the the HTML, the late '90s HTML for quite a while, and not not only that, like you're building a tool with. Palladio, right? You're building something that is sitting on top of other platforms. So you're building something that is built on an open standard that has to be backwards compatible into the 90s on ESP platforms that may also inject weird stuff to try and fix it. And I'm, I'm using a product and it's really nice. Like my newsletter looks good because of you, right? And and still, I, I sometimes see like the, a kind of incongruence between what we want it to look like and what the... I would call it maybe the implementation of the day with the ESP, the provider themselves, what all of this thrown into one results in. And, and that feels like, wow, this must be hard to deal with. So how is it to partner with these much bigger fish, these bigger platforms and dealing with their own process to have your product have as much impact as possible on your customers? So partner is a funny word because <laughs> I haven't actually partnered with anyone. <laughs> Okay. Um, obviously Palladio works, works with ConvertKit, but it doesn't officially work with ConvertKit. Um, the, it, it, it is hard because let's just, let's just talk about email lifecycle. So tool like Palladio, which like you mentioned is the, the, the email template builder thing that I created, it creates HTML plus CSS templates that you can load into a tool like ConvertKit. And like you said, when you're authoring an email in ConvertKit, you're basically filling in the inner sh inner bit of that template with stuff. Um, and ConvertKit creates its own markup, its own CSS, and it injects it into your template. Um, this can have unintended consequences, as you know, we know happens. Um, but it is it is difficult because, like you said, I'm I'm battling both Gmail, Outlook all these weird and you know, inconsistencies about how inbound emails are processed along with ensuring that the final result, because ConvertKit in this case, sends the final stitch together beginning to end email message, um, making sure it all works with that. And, and like Palladio creates, it allows for creation of dynamic content, which means it's actually also authoring liquid code, which is what ConvertKit uses for dynamic content. So it's creating a combination of HTML plus Liquid plus the re required CSS. 
um, and doing a lot of weird stuff in the, in the process, like needing to inline CSS because a lot of email clients don't do well with broad CSS definitions. So you need to basically inline everything, which is tricky because if you inline it and bake it into say the email template, and then you create content and convert kit in an email, well, that content being created in ConvertKit doesn't have that inline stuff because it's a separate beast, right? So yeah, it's a, sometimes I question why I did it. <laughs> well, I, one thing I that did. immediately comes to my mind here is the question, have you then ever thought about just building a ConvertKit competitor? Because it feels like, you know, the, you have this abstraction in there and you don't have to answer any of these, any of these questions if you don't want to. But, you know, if, if you are already kind of struggling with these kind of um, additional platform requirements and limitations, did the thought ever cross your mind to just like do it yourself? Um, yeah, I've actually spec'd out. There's a GitHub repo I have open um, that specs out, in my mind, the ideal ESP and what it would look like and how it would function, where... I won't get too technical, but basically the idea is it's basically you have a bunch of JSON blobs that represent each subscriber that has whatever data you want to stick on them. Um, and then you have the ability largely through a DSL to code automations that could be loops and, and so on. Basically the ability to have like Think of it as like, think of a framework like Ruby on Rails or Laravel, where you have like model view controller. Model is the subscribers, views are the templates and stuff, and controllers are how you lock. Like I, I want to I have a coding framework that generates and, and powers automation, but I use it like I would building a SaaS or something, right? Um, that would be my ideal. I don't think that's more of competitor of ConvertKit. More, it's more like a platform, and then you need something that kind of runs it and sets up all the like automated jobs and job queues and all that kind of stuff. But it's I don't have the time to even look into that. So I, I've modeled out how I'd love to use it, but yeah, <laughs> I remember <laughs> I, I have plenty of those documents myself with really cool ideas, yeah. really fleshed out, and no time to do it. But I I love the idea of like thinking of who who your customer would be. That's like a person that understands like how to glue these things together, and then offer that maybe as a service or offer that like as an agency for somebody else. Like you have all these layers potentially that this, this kind of service could do. That's cool. I like the idea, but yeah. you know, let's, let's not dream too much here. Let's just talk <laughs> about the reality of things. Cause I wanted to talk to you about email. Obviously that's the thing you're really good at. And um, the service that you have at Palladio, I think is really nice because it makes certain things that um, you want as a creator today, just easier. And one of the things that I definitely don't want to do is spend a lot of time authoring an email beyond the thing that I actually want to tell people, right? I don't want to deal with the layout. I don't want to deal with like all these little knobs and sliders in those ESP platforms that I have. And now ConvertKit is great that like you can very much write it yourself, but there's still a lot of settings and configuration and stuff. And I don't want to do that. So that uh, having a tool like yours to make this like a template select done, that's wonderful. And I think particularly now that we have so many ESP platforms around that have all these different things, um, Creators can get caught up in the process of administrating, not the process of creating, but, you know, ad administrating this. What is what is your stance on this? Where is this development going? Yeah, I mean, I think, like like you said, the 
I really like structured content, meaning I really like the one thing I, I built from day one with Palladio was the idea of having content slots rather than just the generic, you have wrapping stuff that wraps an email and the stuff in that email is completely arbitrary, right? Because what a lot of people would do is say they want to have like a digest email. They'll, they'll go into ConvertKit and they'll have like a heading and then they'll put like things I'm looking at this week and then they'll put bullet points or something. And then they'll have another heading with like people I think you should follow and, and so on and so forth. And my issue with that is there's static content, which is going to stay the same, right? And then you have the dynamic content, which will change from email to email. And what I wanted in Palladio was the ability to do kind of like if you've ever used with WordPress uh, advanced custom fields or any of these different things where you can say like, I want to have like, here's a sales page and I'm going to define the heading. I'm going to define the subheading. I'm going to define the offer, the call to action button, the call to action button label, um, and all these different things. And then you're just filling in these variables and then that just fits within a shell. And that's what I tried to do with Palladio is to allow people to easily, and it ends up creating a lot of weird liquid to make this work, but to allow people to easily set up these placeholders, these meta variables within email campaigns, which at a minimum is just the email content itself, but it could be something as simple as like, hey, if I define a sponsor in a structured way under my logo, I wanna put this week we're sponsored by sponsor name or something which, yeah, you could do that through like weird copying and pasting of like previous emails or something, but I wanted a nice structured, like thinking as a developer, how would I do this if I was building like a web page? I would do it through variables and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, so that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that that's largely what went into um, how I built Palladio. That's, that's how I use it too. Like for every um, episode or every issue that I send out, I have this little, you know, watch this on YouTube or just uh, listen to the podcast version of this because that's kind of how I approach my newsletter. It's kind of one version of the content that I create every week. The other one is an article and the newsletter or the, the podcast episode, both on YouTube and on, on Transistor as a, as a audio podcast. And I link all of them in, in the issue, a couple lines into the actual story that I start telling. And I have a little widget in there right that has a predefined design as it should because why would i want to do this every time by myself and what i really do is just co i copy a couple of not even full urls because the urls themselves that go into this they stay mostly the same right any transistor share link starts with share.transistor.fm so i just copy the little data part paste it in there and it takes me like three copy and paste just of that data and all of a sudden the thing works right that's that's kind of how yeah. i would like to approach email more because i don't want to type it out i don't want to make sure and, and that's the thing like you can you can spot any um automated email from miles away just from the fonts difference between the the custom content and the um the, the pre-configured content because people just copy and paste from whatever kind of document yeah. they have your name and and whatever <laughs> website they're looking at from which is hilarious because yeah. they immediately that sorts them into spam for me like mentally exactly. right? i know these people didn't care 
Yeah, and they don't know how to use paste to match style. But anyway, that's... and that's <laughs> such an easy solution to this, right? But then there's potentially yeah. data loss. So, so if you paste only as text, you have the links are gone and all that stuff. So it feels like this shouldn't be approached from the you know from the interface side. This should be approached from the structural side to begin with. This should yeah. not be an issue because you solve it before it becomes an issue. I really really like that, and I think. Um, with uh, personalization is another thing in this case that this enables, right? And you are mm -hmm. with write message and stuff. You're big in that field. I want to talk to you about that because I don't use personalization at all. And I think I'm really, really missing, missing out here. I know you have a newsletter and I um, create and sell, right? And, and that is a, that's a great newsletter. And I think you're personalizing it. Can you tell me more about that? Like what parts of the newsletter are personalized or what parts are dy dynamic? I'm, I'm really excited to, to learn from you how you use this particular feature. Okay. Yeah. So let me, let me explain um, kind of my, my thinking around email personalization. So email personalization largely, unfortunately, thanks to tooling, is, is quite difficult because to do it right you know, what a lot of people think they're doing with personalization is sticking like somebody's name at the top of an email. And that's really just variable injection, right? It's Touching. just saying, hey, <laughs> first name, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, I think email personalization done right would be, imagine you have a sales email and then the second paragraph is an example of a customer success story. It would be showing a customer who's like the person on the receiving end. So if somebody is a designer, they're seeing a designer's story. If they're a developer, they see a developer's story. Like that in my mind is personalization done right. It's basically thinking, how do I take a core message and post-process it to make the example shown, maybe the language shown a little more relevant to somebody. So my thinking around this is that, again, to do it right, it requires a lot of if else, if else conditional liquid code, which is ugly to look at and brittle to write and test. Uh, I am working on ways to make that easier. Um, not there yet, <laughs> but the, the, the end result is that somebody is getting an email where the content of that email is bespoke and highly relevant to them, right? So it makes them more likely to read the full email. It makes them more likely to click on the buy now button at the bottom or whatever else. So my thinking here is there's a lot of effort that goes into it. So I want to use personalization only in the emails that really move the needle. Okay. So for me, that would be sales campaigns. That would be onboarding emails that are highly important because you want your onboarding emails to show somebody that they're at the right place. So my usual way of doing this is post opt-in instead of showing a confirmation page, I show a uh, quick multiple choice survey where that data as the answer is piped up to their new record in my ConvertKit account. So like with create and sell, you opt in. I ask you things like what email platform do you use? Uh, one of them being none. If they choose none, what's holding you back? If they choose an existing one, like say ConvertKit, how comfortable are you with it? Have you done this with it? Have you done that with it? Uh, what is your number one goal now in joining the email list? And I use that to basically build a profile of the new subscriber. And then what I want to do from then on out is to think, how do I take into account what somebody shared with me and give them better content? And that's my focus is, is like people... I want to have a strong signal relative to the noise that I'm producing to each individual subscriber. Um, so what I do with that is for things like sales emails, so I just did a Black Friday sale. Um, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of the emails I sent were tweaked based on that underlying data. And um, 
yeah, it, it, it's worked really well. I actually have a write-up from last Black Friday that showed the percent increase, because I did some A-B testing back then, of what effect this sort of email tweaking had. And it was it was significant. I forgot the exact percent, but it was something like 60%. I can, I'll find the Twitter thread that I did a year ago and share it with you if you want. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of these things that makes a lot of sense where if you can reposition or focus a message to show somebody why they uniquely would you know care about this thing, um, it, it makes it so you don't need to overload your emails or overload your messages with like all the different various edge cases and you know conditionals and stuff like that. So I think onboarding emails, yes. Sales emails, yes. Those are high value emails that tend to be evergreen, especially the onboarding ones. Those tend to be, right. you know, you set it up once and it just runs. My other thing when it comes to like my weekly newsletter is I actually don't really do any personalization with that. What I do instead, which still counts as personalization, is I have what's called an offer funnel that I have running in the background. And all that is is a fancy automation that doesn't actually send any emails. So it's a visual automation in ConvertKit that does not send emails. Instead, what it does is when inputs occur. So when somebody changes their segmentation or they buy something, it reruns and it just runs through a bunch of if else gauntlets to figure out what should somebody buy next from me of, of the products I offer. And then what I do is I then have a call to action in my newsletters that just pull from, you know, this specific person, this is what they should get promoted this week. Um, and Sometimes uh, I haven't done it with create and sell yet, but with double your freelancing, my other brand, I've gotten really fancy and I have it like rotate through different things. So it's not the same thing every week. But my thinking is I want to be able to write an email, write a new article that I'm really passionate about, blast it off to the entire list, but have the call to action at the bottom be dynamic relative to what somebody's bought or hasn't bought and what they've told me and why that should affect them buying this product versus that product. Like, so if they don't use master, they don't use ConvertKit, They'll never see a promotion for mastering ConvertKit because that'd be stupid. Um, but if they don't use anything, maybe I drop my affiliate link for ConvertKit and say, hey, I looks like you don't use any email provider yet. Here's my write-up on what you should use. I recommend ConvertKit. Here's, my, here's a link to go get started. Um, so my thinking is I want to, and that's part of the template. That's part of the shell that I just go and I fill in the, the middle bit and that stuff happens um, under the hood automatically. Oh, that's cool. That that sounds very thought out. And that, that is kind of the scary part here for me at this point <laughs> to think of, oh, wow, now I have to think of all these different alternative states that my customer could be in. And I have to consider not only what state they might be in, but how I could then approach them the best way. And I, I know this is hmm. just work. Right? You just have to put in the time and yeah. the effort to figure it out. But that kind of scares me to have to do this and then have to set it up right and have, probably have a hard time testing it because, you know, it can't just like hope that people get the right email. I kind of have to figure that it, it feels like there's a lot of work. And in my mind, what has kept me until now from doing this is exactly this fear of like, what is oh, am I maybe over segmenting these things or under segmenting them? Am I doing too little, too much? Am I doing it right? Do you have any kind of I don't know resource or hint for how to get started with this to to just go you know, baby steps? Yeah, I mean, my recommendation would be if you're if you're a creator and you have a few things for sale, always you probably have a product that is a good like entry level product for most people, right? So it's what you recommend most people get first. Um, I, I would just think like, all right, so I've got this entry-level product. 
What should most people who buy that probably buy next? And then it could be a really simple, linear, easy to construct thing that says, if they haven't bought this, show a promotion for that or an ad basically for that. Else, if they haven't bought this, show that. And just have it go through like a very simple linear thing. I mean, that, that at a minimum gives you what you need. And it's, the, the benefit there is if they get an email from you today and it's promoting product A, and then they go and buy product A, they get an email from you next week, they're now getting promoted product B, whereas somebody who hasn't bought anything is getting A. So it's just a way to kind of, you know, it doesn't make sense to, some people will like randomly mix up their products in emails that they send. And, you know, this week I'm, I'm hard coding in my newsletter edition, a promo for this. And sometimes I'll go even further and conditionally only show that if they haven't bought that. But a lot of people probably don't do that. They just have the promo for that. Um, this is just in my mind, a lazy way that has a lot of upfront setup time. But once I have it set up, it's really just a, a thing that makes a lot of sense, like show promotions that relate, you know, to what somebody's bought or, and you can do fun stuff. Like say you have like uh, a, a self-study course or an ebook that then, you know, is cheap. So you want most people to buy that first cause it's low risk. And then you have like a higher price course, video course, and then you have like coaching or something you're probably not gonna be able to push coaching on somebody who's never bought from you. Because usually when you, when those of us who've done coaching or have like pricey masterminds, it's usually people who bought our stuff who get a lot of value from it, who then go on to buy the coaching. So it's the same kind of thing where you're just saying, push the coaching to people who are already customers, push the cheap ebook to people who are not customers and haven't trusted me yet with money. And it's, yeah, it just makes, makes a lot of sense. And it's just, you know, once you do it, it's automated. You just kind of, do your usual email thing, and these ads get automatically included. That that sounds like a good investment of time and effort. I will uh, refocus my priorities <laughs> around that. Honestly, it's, <laughs> you can do so many things, right? As if and, and as a creator, yeah. that's the thing. That's why I said earlier, you want to spend as little time in those on those platforms. Like you, you want to do all the things. You want to create. You want to market. You want to be there with the people that you want to help, right? You want to be on Twitter or whatever platform du jour that we are on today. You know, like you, you're all you, you just all present in all fields and setting up something like this that is an automatic that does the work for you now that's just smart like i i really like this so thanks for for thanks for mostly giving me something easy to start with i think like of course yeah. you can do so yeah. much segmenting along the way right for all these different things i could probably figure out do people like my podcast more as a video than as a as an audio thing and then drop the video link or drop the audio link corresponding to what these people chose before now one thing um i i would assume you do this through tagging people with particular data tags or bought this thing or whatever like put some data in there is there is there anything specific about this um i don't really want to go too deep into the technical here but like do, do you have any any kind of hints on how to best um, both associate that data and then I have a second question that I want to throw in here as well. What about data that you can't reliably get from the platforms that you sell your stuff on? Like I'm on Amazon. I sell my book and stuff through Amazon. And I don't really have any way to get this information from Amazon. Who bought what? Like what do I do about people that I send to Amazon and hope they bought? Like how, how do I express this for something like okay, segmentation? Well, let's, let's start with that one and then we'll move to the, um, to the first question. So with, with Amazon or, or any, like say it's a... Uh... I don't know, some, some reseller who does, you know, you get, you get royalties, but you don't get customers from them. Um, what I, it's never going to be foolproof, 
But what you could do would be, let's say you link to Amazon. You could, you could know that they click that link. Um, and you could follow up with a very simple email, say a few days later that says, Hey, I saw you clicked over to my book on Amazon. Did you buy it? Yes or no. They click yes. You just kind of then segment them as a, um, as a customer, but it's, it's by no means foolproof. Another thing you could do would be if you have in the book itself, um, Josh Coffin does this really well. If you have in the book itself links that link to your site that really are kind of private links that only readers of the book would have. And it's like, you know, get it bonuses related to this chapter or something like that. You could kind of safely assume that people going through that flow own the book. Uh, one thing Josh Kaufman does of the personal MBA, which I really like, is he puts at the beginning of the book, hey, if you, um, you know, snap a picture of your receipt from, you know, Barnes & Noble or Amazon or whatever, and forward it to like, you know, my book at joshkaufman.com, some address, um, I'll send you some some freebies that like videos and stuff that that accompany this book. And all he does is it's super simple. Just a, I think it's a zap that just looks for any Auto reply. <laughs> yeah, it's basically any email that hits that gets then pushed into his ESP and segmented as a book reader. So it's like it's it's pretty basic. So anyway, that that's what I would do for that. Um, but again, it's never going to be it's never foolproof. Um, when it comes to technicals, so. When it comes to let's let's talk about technicals of like how do you promote a certain offer to somebody my my thinking here is i like to have my emails be done and what i mean by that is i want to just be able to say in my email template if next offer equals mastering convert kit show an ad for mastering convert kit if next offer equals palladio show an ad for palladio i don't want to know how they're offered this i just want the template to say hey which is what what is the field next offer equal to and then, so what I have is I have that automation I talked about, that visual automation that it reruns whenever somebody's uh, segmentation or purchases change. And all that does is it goes through and says, are they segmented as a buyer of Master and ConvertKit? If they are, um, don't, you know, they're not going to get next offer equals to Master and ConvertKit. They'll go down to another fallback. Um, so that automation centrally manages this custom field called next offer and it runs when prompted and it runs when somebody first joins the list too. And then that way, anytime I, like if I want to send an email to say, target anyone who I think should be buying Master and ConvertKit next, I just go and send a broadcast and say, target people with next offer equals MCK. And that's, that's what does it. Um, and I prefer that because then you don't need to be thinking like, God, how did I, how am I tracking people who, you know, how am I doing that again? Um, I'm also a really big fan of documentation. So I have a Google doc that specifies all the custom fields I use. Um, I don't use any tags, but if I did, it would show the tags, but mostly all the custom fields and their possible values because with ConvertKit custom fields aren't, uh, they're not lists, meaning you can't have like an enum field that has set values. Instead it's open-ended. But what I do is I shove into like, say I have a, a um, an MCK status field, right? Which MCK is short for master and ConvertKit. And if it's blank, that means they haven't done anything. If it's visited, that means they visited the sales page at least once. If it's set to purchased, they've bought it. If it's set to refunded, they've got a refund. And why I do it that way is it now is effectively like a state machine where no one can be both purchased and refunded simultaneously. So that field reflects what is their current relationship with this course. So if I ever want to know who's bought Master and ConvertKit, I just say, 
who has MCK status equal to purchased. And that's, that's my segmentation, but I don't want to remember that, right? I don't want to remember that when I'm setting up these conditional things. So what I do is in that document, I just have basically a little, little table thing, MCK status in one column, and then I list out the different options and what they mean. So purchased, this is set, um, you know, when somebody owns the product or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, my, my big frustration with, with whether it be ConvertKit or really pretty much every ESP I've looked at is they don't make it intuitive or easy to look at like, you know, how, how is this field getting changed or how are people getting onto my list? Um, there's no easy way for you to safely extend things because you're, you're never quite sure, like, is this, is this field or tag being used by an email? Can I get rid of it safely? Can I change it safely? Um, so I like having a simple Google doc that just lists out kind of in, in almost programmer's terms, like with technical documentation, these are the different, you know, this is the data that is, you know, that, that the, this is the, the database schema, if you will, the, for, for my, uh, subscribers, this is what all the different fields do. This is how they're set. This is where they're read. And then I can just in one place, I mean, it, it creates a bit more work when I'm doing stuff, but it's a lot safer for me because I know, oh, I can, I can screw with this and these are the things that'll get affected. So if I want to screw with this, I need to go make sure I don't screw anything up over here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I, I guess we have to build these little crutches or as we developers call it documentation to yeah, yeah, <laughs> deal yeah. with the, the shortcomings. And the, I mean, it's, it's just like, we wish the world were perfect. Right. And, and then we would have no problem. We would get immediate information on, Oh no, don't remove this tag. It's being used over here, but it's not a business <laughs> case really for ConvertKit to implement that. Right. They, they want no. you to grow your list because their value metric is how, how many people are on your list, not how yeah. easy it is to remove a tag and maybe let's talk about email lists a little bit because i've i've been i've been hearing people referring to email lists as either as newsletters or as lists and i think it's a good opportunity to talk about like the definitions here do you, what's the difference between an email list and a newsletter and, and you as an expert probably have a very defined opinion i mean i don't have like i think i mean new <laughs> the the big <laughs> newsletter thing is a bit of a fad i think in the sense that it's nothing new like it's been done for a long Old's time. Letter. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's, I mean, the, the, the word again, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a historian when it comes to like the art of the newsletter, but I think they started out as like printed things. Like here's the neighborhood newsletter <laughs> and you get in the, you know, like locally or something. And it would be like, like, Oh, here's a little carnival we had at the park or, you know, this person has the, garden of the year or something, right? Like it'd be a way to announce things, which is the news and newsletter. Um, but I think most of it are now, most of us, well, originally we're using newsletters as a way to basically keep a list warm and deliver a lot of trust or create a lot of trust between you and your subscribers so that you could eventually cash out and sell something to them. Um, which is Basically, I think the how most of us online creators look at newsletters. That sort of shift, though, with this whole like newsletter ad thing, um, where the you know people are getting paid to write broadcast emails, and that's kind of the end goal for some people instead of selling a course or a product or coaching or whatever else. But I think traditionally the way I've always looked at it as, you know, you want to be able to uh, first off, you don't want to just show up anytime you have something to sell. 
because that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it would work, but it, you'd get a lot of unsubscribes. And on top of that, you want to show people that you have a lot to offer, that you're smart about stuff and that you can help them in some way. And so, you know, the, the, the normal formula has always been, usually has been show up usually once a week with a valuable piece of content, send it to your list. And then every few months or, or whatever, shut down the entire list and just send like a week's worth of high hit, you know, heavy hitting sales emails and rinse and repeat. Um, I mean, that's what people like, you know, OG people like Ramit Seti and people have been doing for a very, very long time. Um, so I don't look at it as being like, I, I look at newsletters being a more manual nurturing email. You know, it's not like an email course, which is automatic. It's not like onboarding emails, which are automatic. This is a manual, usually a broadcast thing um, that could go and and its job is just to kind of send more good content to your list to keep them liking what you're sending and wanting to read your emails. Right. So it's just like a part of the whole overall strategy to have a newsletter. A newsletter is just like a distribution method, really, to, to get something out yeah. there. Nurture. I mean, I think okay. like, like when it comes to architecture, it's usually you have like some sort of welcome sequence or onboarding sequence that acclimates somebody to your brand and what you're up to. And then usually you dump people into your live newsletter from there on out. And like I said, then occasionally you pitch stuff. And that's usually the formula for most people. Um, you can get crazy fancy and do things like having automated newsletters, which are then just really sending weekly stuff that looks real time, but it's not. Um, and then like automating your pitches and all that stuff. But for the most of most of us are just keeping it simple and saying, welcome sequence brings people on. Then we put them on our, you know, now they're getting our newsletter. And then um, sometimes I'll get sales emails from us. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show. MicroAcquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily. MicroAcquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning, and I'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed. Starting in 2023, they're rebranding to Acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired. Their mission is the same to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, hey, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join Acquire.com. Yeah, I've, uh, I've I forgot one thing in my whole strategy over the last couple of years. I'm going to tell this uh, to you because you'll probably understand how disastrous this was as a mistake to have made. But I, I get a lot of emails from people buying my stuff on Gumroad because most of my, my products are on Gumroad as, as ebooks and, and my course is only really available there. So I get all my course sales and my ebook sales from that particular platform and they get fed into my ConvertKit list, which is just one big list. And half of the list really has my newsletter and the other half does not. And and for the last years, I only implemented this a couple of weeks ago, I did not tell the people who bought my products and Gumroad that I have a newsletter through that list. Yeah. I did not have a follow-up email to tell them, hey, if you're interested, here's something every week. Like there's yeah. half of my list that doesn't know that I have a newsletter, even though they're on my list. It's bizarre, right? Mm -hmm. is, is that a big problem? <laughs> Just want to know. 
I mean, I, I don't know if it's a big problem because I think the default thing most people do is they would just add any customers to their newsletter. They wouldn't really, because a lot of people, frankly, when they're sending a newsletter, it's a broadcast to all subscribers. So they're not actually that nuanced. And I am, mean, am, am I too yeah. kind to, to the people on my list? Like what's going on here? I, th I think, it. I mean, different schools of thought. I would say some people would say if they've bought something from you, they want to, they want to get more from you. Right. And they can self-select out at any time with that unsubscribe link. Um, but I think having a courtesy email or ideally set of emails that when somebody buys, you nudge them toward hopefully joining your list with one click, um, which really just segmenting them. I mean, they're already on your list, but they're not segmented as a newsletter person. Um, yeah, you just have a link trigger that basically does that. And then you drip out a few emails and if they don't do it by the end of it, they're just kind of in the other sitting there forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's basically because I think like that's another thing too is I think being, Segmentation, we usually think of as uh, being used to personalize, or we don't actually use it, think of it this way, I should say. Let me rephrase this. Segmentation, we usually think of as a way to say, oh, this person's interested in that, and they like this, and they're struggling with this, um, and then we can use that to, to dynamically generate more relevant content. But segmentation can also include the relationship somebody has with you and your brand. So like, we you know, we think of newsletter being on a newsletter is an atomic thing where it's either you're on it or you're not. But what if you want to say, maybe you have like a monthly digest that you can say, I don't I actually don't want to unsubscribe, but I want to get a once a month thing instead of a one, once a week thing. Um, so like that's all segmentation. And, and, and all that means is like, if somebody's buying and they're entering your list, if you can have mechanisms for say, Hey, I have, you know, this weekly newsletter, do you want to join it? Or do you maybe want to get a monthly version? Um, yeah, I mean, then it becomes really easy for you as the creator to say, cool, when I'm sending a newsletter, I just send it out to newsletter status equals monthly or newsletter status equals weekly. And there we go. Those are the people, like, I don't know how they're weekly. I don't know how they're monthly. But again, that, that's why I'm really big into like dumb implementation, if that makes sense, where I don't really care about how you know, they ended up this way. I, I want, yeah, I just want it when I'm setting up my targeting or I'm doing like some conditional content in an email itself. I just want to keep it simple. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that, that's, that's also, that is kind of showing kindness to your, your list, to the people that chose to interact with you. I, I like this. I like this as an approach. And again, it feels like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work, but you know, that's, that's just what you have to put into it to build this yeah. relationship with people. Right? It's a, it's a two-sided yeah, thing. Exactly. It's not that these people sign up for your list and now you can do whatever you want with them forever. No. There's a lot of agency on there and too that you have to kind of uphold a certain quality of the interaction for them to yep. stay with you. Like, I can tell you one thing. Like I, I, like I said, I did not tell people about my newsletter and one person that I sent a Black Friday email to very recently um, wrote me an, an email back almost being outraged about the fact that I hadn't said anything to them for the year that they had been on my list. And now I come with a, a, a marketing offer. A sales thing. Like had I yeah. asked this person to be on my list, they would have got a weekly email. I would have value nurtured them, show them that I'm still thinking about stuff beyond the thing that they bought. And here's more and here's more every single week. They probably would have reacted way differently to that marketing email yeah. than 
if I hadn't made the mistake for years not to tell them that there's a newsletter. So I just want to yeah. kind of share yeah. that as a don't do this, don't do this at home story. A lot of these mistakes seemingly are made where we just don't really ever put ourselves in the foot or the, the shoes or we don't intentionally think through like, what would somebody think about this? Like, let's say we're doing a list-wide launch of a new product. Are we thinking about the, the person who joined yesterday? Mm-hmm. You know, if they just came across your stuff for the very first time from Google, they opt into your list. Now they're getting on a week-long, heavy-hitting, like, buy, buy, buy sales thing. And like, what, 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 what does that do, right? Like, that's, that's, I think, it's this empathy thing you brought up. Like, being thinking through, like, who's receiving this? And I think a lot of it is just the convenience of being able to say, I'm going to send a broadcast that is going to be a sales email. And I'm just going to do the default all subscribers thing, which is what ConvertKit defaults things do. And I'm going to do it that way. <laughs> so yeah, I anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're, you're, going to, you're saying something. No, that's fine. Like I, I understand that people choose the easy way when it comes to interacting with with their audience because they are used to broadcasting. That's the thing, right? If you look at Twitter or Facebook, unless you're in a particular group or Twitter circle or whatever that weird feature that's probably going to be gone by the time this is released uh, is called, yep. you know, like the, the these little subgroups. But usually, you broadcast to your audience with one message. Mm-hmm. So segmentation, like you said in the beginning of of our conversation, only exists where we choose to implement it but we have no choice to implement it on social media platforms so i guess the, the default would be broadcasting and I, I i thought about doing this with my list but i really didn't want to surprise people in a negative way because i know that every interaction that i have with my the people that already gave up their their private information right they gave up their email to me so i could reach them it's that that's a big gesture and i'm that's the thing i'm really thankful for every single person that puts their email into this field because i know that i don't like doing this at all to anybody, right? I don't give my stuff to anything that I don't think is going to be super valuable or that I can trust. So I know that this happens at scale for people who subscribe to my products or newsletter or whatever. So just pumping out stuff at them feels like I'm not valuing them. And that's not the brand that I want to have. That I, That's not how I want them to feel and then tell their friends about it, right? That's kind of the thing. So let me ask you a more, a more tangible question here. Tell me a couple more things that people who get into email marketing are doing wrong that they misunderstand in, in in this kind of way where they only kind of think about themselves what what have you seen in email marketing that most people get wrong there i think a big thing is i wouldn't say it's a specific thing it's more of a relationship with automation so i think a lot of people are put off or intimidated by email automation i think the really the big reason for it is almost thinking of it as a bit of a runaway train. Like you never know, like what if 50 emails go out to somebody in one day because they happened like the stars aligned and now all these different automations are all, you know, working on them. Um, My thinking here is the issue I have with broadcast based stuff. Let's say you decide next week I'm launching this new thing I've been working on. That's your schedule. Right, that that you're ready for that. You're ready to launch that because you're done with it. You're ready to unveil it, but that might not be when the people on the receiving end are ready for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think like automation done right should be more about thinking how can I build a system that when somebody comes on board, when somebody joins my list, I try to uncover however I can a bit about their goals, a bit about situationally where they're at a bit about their identity, maybe what industry they're in, what job role they have, whatever. And then how do I put together a choose your own adventure style experience for them that allows them to be 
recommended products at the right time. You know, it's that whole thing, like send the right message to the right person at the right time. Like, how do I do that? How do I make it so instead of just the one, one size fits all, blast it out, nice burst of Stripe revenue, rinse and repeat, get in again. How do I instead think, there's a lot of people who are joining my list. People come on every day, people leave every day. How do I curate a really great experience for them so that people are getting relevant content at the right time and that when they virtually raise their hand saying, I'm ready to be a customer of something that you offer, how do we then and only then provide that to them? And I think that's something that the the UX of email it isn't really thought about too much. I think people mm -hmm. are so obsessed with like marketing campaigns and thinking about like what we're doing this week when it comes to the emails. I mean, my end goal, you know, and I think again, to go back to the automation thing, I think a lot of people associate automation with sitting on a beach and doing nothing and getting paid. And that's why we do auto automation. I look at it as automation done right provides a better user experience to your subscribers because they're getting the right, like most of us, let's put, be honest, aren't sending like stuff that's super timely, like Bitcoin prices from yesterday or whatever. Like for the most part, a lot of the news that we're sending in our newsletters is advice or it's, you know, insights or like these aren't timely, right? Like if, if I wrote it and sent it today, or if somebody, if I wrote it a year ago and somebody gets it for the first time today, is it really that big? Like who cares? It's like a book, right? Like who, yeah. who cares? So I think like if you can start thinking of automation as being a better UX or delivers better UX to your readers. And when somebody has a better experience, they're more likely to engage with their stuff and they're more likely to read it. And they're more likely to buy. It ends up being a really great win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I think like, I, I look at m my success as an email marketer as being how few times can I log in and convert it? You know, like I, I think if, if I need to be going in and feeding the monster and thinking, crap, if I don't write an email this week, the list will go cold or something and I won't be able to promote. Like that shouldn't be what we're doing. We should be thinking these choose your own adventure stories. Like different people have different needs. They're in different places. They have different levels of awareness. How do we cater to that? And that does take time and thinking and planning and work to set up. It's not something you'll build overnight, but I think for most of us, it should be the end goal. I just wanted to agree this whole time because I feel like what you're doing is so customer centric. You're putting putting the person that you're talking to first, like what are their needs? And and that's a, and that's what marketing is about, right? You find the mm -hmm. people who need this and give them the thing that they already know they want and just help them figure out um, how they can get it through you, from you. But it's it's such a thing that I often feel is totally absent in the emails that I receive is compassion from where I am. Like, because people want, I, I think the phrase here is my inbox is somebody else's to-do list too often, right? It feels like yes. what, what email I receive is not for me, it's for them. And that making that a choice to not go that way and in, instead choosing to use automation to provide a better experience, that, that is just a, a mindset shift that if you can do it from the beginning is going to just make such a better experience possible for the people that you interact with. And that is the word of mouth that people will present to their communities, right? Like this, that newsletters are not usually recommended because they have like the most genius insights. People recommend the newsletter not as an 
per issue thing. That's how I feel, at least in, in the, the perception that I get on Twitter when people recommend newsletters. They recommend newsletters because there's a great person behind it doing them. Mm-hmm. And because over time, there's this, this wealth of knowledge that is presented in an approachable and consumable form. So it's not the individual issue and the, the design of that particular piece of content that matters, but it's the feeling that people get from being recognized as somebody who should read this that they then spread into their communities. So thinking from that Absolutely. person first, that that is a really, really helpful perspective to take. Um, I, I would, lo- would like to look on the other side of this because um, – there's a lot of opportunity in email, but is there also risk? Like that's that's what I always wonder as an entrepreneur. Like is is there risk in reaching out like this to people or even setting up automation like this? You kind of touched on it just now with 50 emails on one day, right? Are there any risks that you haven't talked about just yet in building these complicated email systems? Yeah, I mean the big risk is ultimately going to be not having a not having a Good, good control, technical debt, Let's talk developer. It's not having strong control over what you've got in place, where people are flowing in and out of automations. You have no idea how that's happening. Um, you modify one automation, and now that automation maybe fed people into a different automation, which is like where the sales happen. That stops now. And, and it's, it's the risk of just making changes that have really big consequences. And my way of mitigating this risk is really strong documentation. Because again, there is no, you, there's no unit testing platform for ConvertKit. Right? There's no way to say, I want to have, here's an automated test that given a new subscriber who has this bit of data attached to them, they should go through this flow and end out, you know, end up this way. Like there's no way to do that, right? Like you're, you, you, yeah, you're, so the only, the only way to do that at the minute is to just have documentation that, that is not stale, that is continuously updated. So if you make a change in ConvertKit, you pop over your Google Doc and update it there. Um, that's honestly the only, you know, from a, yeah, I mean, like, well, there, there's that risk. There's another risk I wanna talk about too, which a lot of people don't really uh, mention is the, the kill switch. So really bad things happen, right? Like. Um, Take 9-11 as an example, right? If you have an automation that is a sales automation, these automations are usually tied to weekdays. Um, you, can't, you can't say ignore it around Christmas. You can't say ignore it around this date or that date. And you definitely can't say monitor the news and when something is really a big deal, don't start sending out shitty promotional emails. So I try. I've built into my setup a thing where it's effectively a kill switch. So ConvertKit doesn't have global variables. So what you need to do instead is you basically update every contact record or subscriber with a, uh, basically I have a deliverability field that I can set to don't. Um, and then all of my automations look at that in order to um, determine, can somebody actually get this email? So that's like the end thing is if if they can't. So the benefit there for me is I know I can go in if there's a giant tragedy and run a single bulk, bulk operation that sets this, and then I don't need to worry about stuff like that going out. And that's, I think, the big risk. I think us as marketers, we're fine to do that. Um, if we're setting broadcasts, you just know, okay, I'm not going to send anything today. But when you have a bunch of like little minion automations going, um, 
left to their own devices, they're not going to care or know that today is a big holiday or that a big tragedy just occurred. So I think that's that's a risk that I think very few people talk about. And I haven't seen any ESP that has this built in. It'd be great if they did. Um, but yeah, that's that's another big risk too. That That's really cool. Never thought about that. Like I, I usually, right, honestly, with, with my my approach to this, I'm, I'm I don't have much in terms of automation. Most of it is really just me manually broadcasting. I, I kind of cool it in, in those kind of situations, but I, I still keep like some semblance of communication going because I feel like as much as in, in such a situation you want to be careful with a global audience, it's kind of kind of hard to judge, right? Like obviously, nine eleven mm. is a global tragedy, and there are many of these, unfortunately. Yeah. So kind of toning down the the marketing outreach on in those days is generally a good idea but just even who who not to send email to sounds hard so kill switch is a great idea it's great to to think of implementing this as a as a flag and then kind of switching it off and on if you need it that that is really helpful thank you that that is a risk that i did not have on my mind at all that that is, is really really cool <laughs> yeah. wow the the feel of email marketing it's not really new to me but the the nuance is is quite mm. tangible like there's a lot of things that you don't think about because you are so used to other kinds of medium like twitter or social media in general um maybe as a as a final point here it, if you were to look at the landscape right now of the, the way that people reach out to each other on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatnot, um, do you see email as the kind of medium for people to de-risk their social media presences? Is that something you would recommend to anybody or is that something you only would recommend to marketers or content creators? I mean, I think it does. I'm not, so to put all my cards to the table, I've heard a lot of things about how people who are much younger than me don't use email anymore. That might be true. Part of me thinks when they get into the real world, they will use email. Maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah. imagine 12 year olds aren't really using email. Maybe they are. Um, but the, I, I definitely think email is the way to go. And there's two reasons for that. First is that it's portable. Um, you can't be deplatformed. And I know we, we tend to think of people being deplatformed de when they're on like far political extremes or whatever. But the fact of the matter is deplatforming could be also Facebook updating their algorithm to make it so the likelihood that people who follow you see your posts is significantly less unless you're paying them money, right? Like that, it's, email is peer-to-peer. Is -peer. it, it, it's not centralized. It's literally the tech is 50-something years old where it's basically saying like, it's it's an SMTP server that's knocking on the door of a uh, receiving server and saying, I have a message for this user or this account on this system. Like it, when you look technically at how it all works, it's super old, but I mean, it works. Um, an email is basically, think of it as a file. I mean, that's basically what it is. Once it's delivered, it's delivered. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft and Outlook can have like unsend email as a as a feature, which is more of a handshake agreement between two Outlook clients, but it's not built into email. Like you send me an email and you try to unsend it, you're no, I'm getting it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I like email because it's it's very low risk, and I can move from platform to platform. If ConvertKit won't have me, or if they screw something up big time, I can move elsewhere and take my list. It's a CSV file and take it wherever I want to go. The other thing I think, because it is peer-to-peer, -peer, like we mentioned, is with 
Twitter, I can't say I want to tweet this and I only want people who use ConvertKit to see this. No way of doing that. Um, whereas with email, assuming you have that data of do they use ConvertKit, yes or no, you can do that. So from a messaging tool, it's a lot more flexible because you can truly personalize the content you're sending in a way that you just can't with social media. Yeah, that's de-risking on many levels, right? It's like de-risking mm -hmm. both the, the de-platforming and also enabling you to not have to send the wrong stuff to the, the wrong people. That That is, uh, or, yeah. you know, like to, to prevent you, you from like oversaturating that market. Very cool. Right, here, here's Thank a quick innocent example I want to I share. I know we're ending, but with that de-risk, let's say you tweet your Black Friday sale and somebody bought a week ago at full price. They're going to see that tweet. I mean, they might they might not if they're not looking at Twitter, but they they're eligible to see that tweet. Whereas, if you're doing your email right, you're not you're probably going to exclude people from seeing a Black Friday email about something somebody's already oh somebody already owns. So that's another just example of like, you know, you're not doing that in a nefarious way. You're doing that just because why promote something that somebody already owns? But yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that that's how I wanted to also mention de-risking. Yeah, that, that makes sense too. It's like, that's a saturation argument, right? You don't want to oversaturate somebody who already is at the point where you want them. You don't want to throw more on them. That's yeah. uh, with somebody who bought this stuff too. Very cool. Um, I have one final question for you. And it's of a personal nature. How many eggs did you eat today, Brennan? <laughs> so Laura's told you about my new diet. <laughs> that's um, right. <laughs> so far, I've only had two. But I did eat a steak already for my first lunch. So wow. you're, <laughs> yeah. you're building the monolith, right? Is that what you're doing? That's, that's the program I'm running and it's been kicking my ass. So uh, yeah. yeah, I bet, man, that, that sounds like a lot of protein. Yeah. <laughs> Just think there. Yeah. 200 something grams a day. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's substantial. Well, we, we all run, run these little experiments in our life, right? To figure out a, a better yeah. way forward. That is really cool. Well, th thanks so much for being on the show today. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing and what you have to offer? Uh, yeah. Thanks. So first off, thank you so much for having me, Harvard. It's been so much fun. Um, co is probably the best place. That's my weekly live newsletter. It's not automated yet. Um, but that's where I send out stuff on just kind of like what we talked about today, email marketing stuff. Um, we talked about Palladio at the beginning. That's Palladio, P-A-L-L-A-D-I-O.dev. Um, and I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash Brennan Dunn. So yeah, yes. thanks. Very good. Yeah, I, I recommend people follow you. You're a, a source of great insight and great humility. And it's just a, a good person to be around. So thanks so much for being on the show. That was awesome. And thanks for sharing all your knowledge today. Wonderful. Thanks, Arvid. Yeah. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will help the show. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.